0: Welcome to Two Cents FC. I'm your host, Amobi Akugo, back again with my guy L. Each week, we'll be talking with individuals from around the soccer world, learning about their stories and getting their unfiltered thoughts and opinions. This week, we're joined by someone I know, someone I admire, head coach of Stumptown AC, Coach Rod Underwood. I call him Coach because you know he's one of the greatest coaches that I know. Someone I've uh, had the pleasure of knowing. We'll be learning all about Rod's soccer journey, coaching internationally versus domestically, the Stumptown AC project, and also saluting Viv Anderson for Black Soccer History. We're changing the format a little bit. You know, we do two truths and a cap. We are starting right off the gates with that. So, Coach Rod, how you feeling? Two truths and a cap.
1: So let's see here. Um, I'm from New York. I ran track, and I have a daughter that's thirty years old.
0: Hmm. Interesting. From New York? Not great. How? Uh, I'm gonna go with the lie. Is you have a daughter that's thirty years old? I think you have like a son.
1: <laughs> yeah my actually my daughter's
0: 28
1: so yeah that
0: was quick you got to be quick on your feet L.
2: yeah I know <laughs> all right cool I'm gonna go ahead and get right into it
0: yeah so let's get right into it uh first question we ask every guest um outside of the two truths and a cap is when did you fall in love with soccer
1: well it's interesting you know i um I started playing when I was about six. And the very first time I kicked the ball, that was it. I mean, that was like, I knew that was a thing for me. I mean, that was like, uh, that was like 19, man. That was like 1970, early 70s, like 73, 74. And I just, I mean, there was no soccer, right? I mean, I never even seen a soccer ball. I just sort of just jumped into the game. And um, from there, it was uh, just loving it, you know, and, throughout my career, playing, 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 uh, and then going on and playing in high school, playing in college, playing club, playing professionally. And then as soon as I got done playing, I jumped right into coaching. I mean, actually, while I was still playing. I was doing all my coaching license and all that stuff. By the time I was 27, 26, I already had my A license by that point. So, yeah, I mean, I knew I was going to coach right away.
0: No, that's a great point. I want to ask that too, because... What was the process like of getting your A license? Because I know we're going to get into it later down in the interview. Um, But as a coach, describe that process then versus, you know, a lot of people talk about it's impossible to get your A license now. You have to go through hoops and circles just to get, you know, some coaching credentials. Um, So for you being early in the sport, you know, as an African-American, you know, getting your A license at such a young age in a different time. What was that like?
1: Well, I think for me at the time when I got mine, it was maybe a thousand bucks, right? All in, everything. I'm hearing that it's could be upwards to ten thousand dollars with travel now. So I mean that's, that's for that's,
0: travel, not even
1: yeah. yeah. I mean it's just I mean I'm hearing that, that and I'm hearing that the pro license could be double that. So um, you know, I just it's just cost prohibitive, man. It's just it's just difficult, right? Um, and then just it's okay with the time. I know that guys have to go to different places and coaches have to go to different places and do these things. And I don't mind that going, you know, you got three trips to make and you go to these different places and you go to a learning environment for, you know, four or five days a week. That's all cool, but it's just, the cost is really, really, really very difficult. You know, that's just, Mm -hmm. that's the bottom line, right? The, the cost is cost prohibitive, especially for, for players. Let's say let's say that you weren't a professional player. Let's say that you were just, you know, coming out of college and you know you want to coach and you and you're trying to get, you know, even a C or a B license, you still got to travel and you still got to go to these places. And a lot of times, you know, you don't have any money. Yeah. You know, and then so you get pushed down the you get pushed down the pecking order to you get a job, you know, all these things, you get a club that says, hey, you commit to us for two years and we'll pay for your license. So it's not necessarily really you controlling your own, your own journey you're at the you're sort of at the back of and call of other people. And that's not cool, either.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, you mentioned growing up like you first fell in love with the sport right when you touched it. But I'd imagine in in the the 70s, then that's when the NASL was very popular. Um, But did you come from like a soccer background? Like describe your origin story.
1: Yeah, I mean, nobody plays soccer in my family. I mean, literally how it happened for me, my neighbor, his dad was a football American football coach. And at that time, you had to weigh a certain amount, and I was too little, so I couldn't play on the team. Right. The next day, I walk into school, there's a sign up to play soccer. I'm like, okay, I'll sign up. I signed up. I never knew it. I didn't know what the game was. And, you know, to top it off on that, nobody knew how to coach. So my mom was a coach, and her friend was the coach. That was, my, that was my first experience, you know. And then through that time, right, um, we moved, and then I played for a uh, I played in Atlanta and, you know, we played, played at a YMCA and these two coaches, man, they would come and pick me up for training, you know, take me to training, whatever there was. And then I, then what really started to change is had an Argentinian coach. um, And he was just like unbelievable. I mean, he was just like good coach, uh, but super committed. Right. And even at that time, so he would, if you couldn't afford anything, he owned landscape. Right. So, you could come and work for him, and then you pay off your, your fees and all that. And he just made it so easy for you to keep playing. And then I ran into my high school coach, who was could be the most influential coach I ever had outside of my mom stepping up and, and doing it. You know, um, This guy was like, it's just unbelievable. I mean, it's like he cared about you as a person. He taught you the game. All the technical things that I learned about the game in terms of how to pass, how to dribble, That came from him. That came from him. So building that foundation, you know, and then um my college coach, I went to Furman. So um I went to Furman. And you were the first black player
0: at Furman, correct? You were the first black player at Furman, correct?
1: Yep. You know, so that was a that was a great experience on two levels, right? So I grew up in a middle class family. My dad was a uh a manager for Sears and you know so and my mom was you know worked in education so we wasn't like we were hurting for money but at the same time two parents working and all those things made it really difficult to get places so get the chance to go to Furman and really then experiencing that whole different culture that's like you know at that time Furman was a A school where it was expensive right not compared to what school is today but the people that went to the school came from money that's the bottom line that came from money um so i got a chance to experience that other side of life which really drove me to say there's so much more to life than just what i've seen growing up and that was really important but the soccer side of it was really important too because you know at that time we played the clemson of the world we played the dukes of the world played the nc states of the world you know, guys that names you remember, you know Bruce Murray, these kind of guys play against Tab Ramos. You know, these are the guys that were in my era, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so have that experience, and you know, to play to play professionally was there was really no opportunity. There was indoor, and I played in the very first year of of um, of the USL, which was a different name at the time, but for yeah. what we know as the USL. And how that happened was the coach was Dave Carr. He was coaching at Marshall, I think, and we were in the same conference. Hey, you want to come and play in Albuquerque? I'd never been to Albuquerque, so <laughs> jump on a plane, go out there, like it. Offers a, offers myself another teammate a contract. We get a we get a a U-Haul and we drive out, <laughs> and that's that's how the that's how the journey of professional soccer took off.
0: No, uh, it's amazing. You know, when I you know I sit back and hear some of the stories from the OGs, and it's like, yo, know, it was not easy to make it to where you guys made it now so obviously from a playing you know career and then obviously coaching career can you talk about some of like the hurdles that you faced you know now you see facilities like COPA or IMG and you see these every kid has like uh, boots and stuff like that talk about some of the challenges that you had to face you know as a professional and then obviously as a coach
1: growing up well my first pair of shoes were a pair of so anybody knows American football. Rydell makes a, a helmet, right? <laughs> yeah. So my shoes were Rydell shoes, football shoes. That was my first pair of shoes. White knee pads, white elbow pads. Man, that was the that was my that was my that was my experience, man. You know, and then the goalkeeper gloves are like bat, They were like batting gloves, right? Yeah. You know what you see in batting gloves. Those are the goalkeeper gloves with, with some rubber on the ends of them. But there was, I mean, there was no equipment. There was nothing, man. But you know. Um, Again, you know the, the the hurdles really were. There weren't any black kids playing, right? You know they were very, and even growing up in Atlanta, Atlanta is not the 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 demographic of Atlanta. What you see today is not what it was when I was growing up. It was almost sure. the exact opposite. Um, and so there were there were no, were no um, there were no black kids playing, you know, and, and the Latino culture there was non-existent, right? Back when we huh. were growing up. There was no such thing as Latino. Either you were black or you were white. That was the category. There was no in between. So there might have been Latino kids, but we didn't know they were Latino because we, thought they were black. If they weren't,
0: yeah, hardcore, they were they were white. Yeah. That's
1: what it came down to, right? So, um, yeah. so that's kind of the era that you grew up. I mean, in terms of you know things like going to ODP and all those things and making that was like super expensive, right? That was a It's nothing like it was like it is today, where it might cost someone ten, fifteen thousand dollars to play, but you know, two, three thousand dollars to go to ODP camp for a week, and it cost you two grand at that time, maybe fifteen hundred bucks. That was a lot of money, you know. That was that was a lot of money. So, the reality, the same hurdle that is today, was then, right? So it was still for the kids that had money, right? Um, and And that was that's always been that's always been the issue, you know, and. Um, there were really no minorities playing, not until, really not until probably I became a professional that I really played with minorities, right? You had a yeah. sprinkle here and there, but nothing real, not, not, not much of anything.
0: Yeah. And, you know, for your career, you, you know, you've had a, a lot of breakthroughs, you know, being one of the first, uh, the first black player at Furman, you know, going pro, you know, getting your A license at such a young age. What were some of the big moments that, you know, throughout your career that you were like, yeah, that's that's part of my Hall of Fame moment. Like I feel like that's something I always remember.
1: You know, I mean, it's hard to say because I'm not that kind of guy, right? I'm the kind of guy that's like, put your head down, work, 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 do your thing. And whatever happens, the challenges come, you got I'm always you got a choice. You gotta make a decision, you always gotta make a decision. You just can't do any, you can't do nothing. So it was, for me, it was always okay. Yeah, that's difficult. How am I gonna How am I gonna get around that? But if you look on the field, right? I mean, things like becoming a professional is a big deal, right? I think in '90, early '90s, our team we were in the semifinals, finals of the Open Cup, right, which was was like the big deal then, right? Our mm-hmm. team from Albuquerque, we were in the we were in the semifinals, semifinals. Of, I think it was the semifinals that we lost in the semifinals. Um, but as you can see, right, I don't really think about those things. You know, most people can just, oh, yeah, we. No, that that stuff is not really yeah. what drives me. What drives me is really impacting culture and changing lives and, and using the game to impact people. Yeah, I can sit around and talk about my accolades and all that, but that doesn't really interest me. What interests me is how do I make it better for the people that are coming? What will my story do for the next generation? You know, that's, that's the important stuff for me. But, you know, those things, you know, a highlight coaching was probably – you know, in 90, 1997 in the USL, won the championship. You know, I was the head coach of the Albuquerque Geckos, uh, and I do believe I'm still the only American-born black coach to win a professional championship in America.
2: You know, there there's other coaches,
1: Lauren Donaldson won, but he was you know, he was born outside the country. I think I'm the only one that was actually born in the country that actually has won a professional oh championship.
0: That's what it's all about. And you you talk about impact, you know, and and that's what it's all about. You know, you mentioned your, your high school coach that had probably the biggest, uh, most pivotal impact for you as a, as a, as a player. Uh, And you as a coach are giving back to the next generation of talent um, of young uh, men and women and individuals. What's something that you tell, you know, these young players that come to you as a coach, like, like that one piece of advice that they all need. Oh, we all you know. I'm still a player too.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, it's simple, right? Like I said, it's about choices, right? I believe whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen in life, right? We don't know the outcome, right? We have no idea what the outcome's gonna be. But all we do is in the moment, how do you react to the moment? How do you how do you react to the highs? How do you react to the lows? You have a choice. You can let the highs take you to a place where you can never go higher. Mm-hmm. or you have a choice to make where you can take the lows where you can where you can only go lower and i just say you just have to make a choice and it's always how do you keep moving forward don't let anyone stop you from dreaming don't let anyone crush your dream i tell i tell players all the time you know you might you might not make this team i'm not here to crush your dream i'm just saying you don't fit right now and there's going to be other people that come along and say you're not good enough you have a choice are they gonna are they gonna Are you going to let them crush your dream or are you going to keep going to go after your dream until you can't go after it anymore?
0: No, I love that piece of advice because, you know, I I feel like a lot of kids, you know, one coach may not like their style, but there's so many different styles of play, so many different nuances to the game. Uh, You know, you could be a great winger, but the way you fit with the forward and the center midfielder and the uh, outside back is not conducive to the system that the coach wants. That doesn't mean you're not a good player or a great player. It just means that, it, you know, it's, it's not working out in that moment. And like you said, it's a choice. You can react a certain way and take it as, you know, a detour or a distraction. And I think it's really important, you know, for the people that are listening that you said that. And uh, it comes to coaching, you know, you coach all over. Domestic or international, what, what, what do you like more?
1: It's just different, right? I mean, internationally, right, you know, you can be – in the small country in Africa, where you're in a dirt field and there's no stands, right? Everyone's just standing around the field, and it's your team, right? It's your team. Give you an example. I'll take a step. I giving I was in uh, when I was in Jamaica, coaching at Montego Bay, which is a big club there. They've been in Champions League and all that. And we go over to play Harbor View. Probably heard that name before because probably yeah. the guys that come from Harbor View. So we're we're you know. We're, game's almost over. It's one-one. I look up in the stand. Usain boats there watching the game, right? <laughs> um and it's like if you go, it's like it's a dilapidated stadium that's falling apart. Usain boat is there watching his team because he's from the Harborview area, right? Comes oh, down to the stands after the game and, and just wants to talk and be the normal guy, you know. So I get a chance to meet him and talk to him. And um it's just it's just the it's just different. So you take or world star such as Usain Bolt, he's at home in a dilapidated stadium with guys he grew up with, enjoying his hometown team. It's right. just a different. It's just a different dynamic, right? Um, whereas here, right, you know, the whole walkout or deal yeah, the, the walkout, the the massive stadiums, even even at the Nisa level, right? You go to these stadiums that can hold ten thousand people. You go to other places around the world. They didn't even have seats. You know, they didn't even have concessions. The okay. concessions is the guys coming down with his cooler with pre-made food in his kitchen at home, selling it to the people walk around the field. Yeah, uh-huh. it's just different, right? Yeah. So both are super enjoyable. Um, it's just you know when people talk about culture, that's what it that's what it comes down to. Okay. If you have a chance to really see it. Like I said, I've been to the dirt fields in Africa. You know, I've been to Ajax. You know, I, I, you know, to the to the pinnacle, to you know, the places where there is a war torn country, right? Mm-hmm. But it's all about culture. It's and and is it and and it can't be stage culture, right? Because one thing I will say about American soccer is that I feel like sometimes, right, everyone's getting supporters sections, which is great and wonderful, right? Were they are they organic and because people truly, really love it or it's because of it's part of the showpiece. Yeah. You know, it's part of this. Sh- it's part of the showpiece. I don't know. But in most countries, it's not part of the showpiece. Those people will live and die for their team. Right. Now, you got teams like Portland. You know, you've been there, you know, Seattle's of the world. These kind those people live and die for those, those aren't cultures yeah. that are made up because everyone else is doing but then again those those teams have 40 50 60 years of history right that's true so that that's different
0: yeah I think you bring up a great point about that because you know us you know sports is entertainment and it's a money money thing but as from a global perspective soccer and football is ingrained in the community ingrained in the culture like that's like you know how they do fo- in Texas is like all right high school football Friday college football <laughs> Saturday church. Sunday football, NFL, like that's how it is globally from the soccer perspective. So, as it continues to grow, you have the cultures like Portland, Seattle's of the world, other pockets that are you know starting to you know develop. It's really important. Um, You you know, you talk about culture, you talk about you know the the nuances between international, domestic, from a young player perspective. And I know because you work with a lot of youth. what are your views on a player going to Europe versus staying here? Um, yeah, what's your, what's your viewpoint on that?
1: You know, I don't really have a viewpoint in, in a sense, but I do, right? Look, as long as the money is in the way in America, players will never develop to the place where they need to develop. Oh, that's a bar. Whew. That is, it's. It, it, we
0: might have to grab that, that soundbite
1: right there. It, it it just can't happen, right? Because you have you have coaches, right? That you have foreign coaches, and I'm not knocking anybody, but you have foreign coaches that come here because they know they can make a living coaching three teams and being a director of a club and make a hundred grand. They can't even get a job at home. Speak on it. So I'm not knocking anybody, but I'm just saying the facts are the facts, right? No. Yeah. Whereas we all know we all, we're all on Twitter, we're all on Facebook. When you have, uh, you know, these retired stars now from different countries talking about they're back involved in the game, coaching, not because of the money, because of the game.
0: Yeah.
1: So, and there's there's no prohibitor of saying, you because Johnny or Susie can pay $5,000, they're on the team. Mm-hmm. Every single person that hears this involved in the game, know they have players in their clubs because they can pay them money and their parents are on the board or their parents are volunteers, oh, no. not because they can play football, but because they have the money to be involved. And my biggest pet peeve about club soccer is you can tell the players that have the money to buy, to be good. And you can tell the players that are intrinsically good because they come from a culture of a family that football is important to them. Speak and it's two, it's two different things.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, you can, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. I think one of my biggest things is uh, cause I mean, you had, uh, some time in SAC. And I was, when I was come back in the off season, watching my younger brother play. And I'm just like, yeah. some of these coaches have four teams. I'm coming to the game. I was like, where's the coach? Oh, he has the coach's other team at this team. I'm like, so you're not even, you're just collecting. Like, it's like a sales job. It's not even, you know, being able to like develop the kids. And then you got coaches that come from wherever, no disrespect, you know, pop a little accent, you know, parents don't cross check. Like they say, yeah, I used to play pro and you know, your son is a great player. Your daughter is good. Like when I play pro, like they have all the qualities and it's like, all right, take all my money. You're going to train them. You didn't even do your research. Some of these coaches are lying to you. You really need to do your research. That's just my pet peeve. I can probably go on because it it really gets me mad. You see people training kids and they're just doing like side to side um, things that a kid can do on their own if they're really motivated. And it's just, you really got to, find out the people that are in it to help and develop and move the culture and soccer forward and the ones that and like no disrespect, you know, people gotta make their money, but the ones that are just like, all right, I know America's not at a place where they really care about soccer and this is how I'm gonna feed, you know, put food on the table. So it's just a really interesting dynamic. So I'm really glad that you touched on it and gave like a actual coach's perspective. Yeah. So with that being said, um when it comes to uh, coaching, what, what, do you, what do you think makes a good coach, and who do you like take inspiration from in terms of like, all right, this is my five aside when it comes to coaches. Like,
1: yeah, I mean that that's an interesting right for me. For me personally, look because if I go back to when I coached my first professional team, I would I, I, when I say this statement, just like and you as a current player, you'll you'll understand what I'm saying, right? It was so arrogant and so prideful, right? Because I was coming from a player's perspective. I remember the first time I talked to the team for the first time and I said, if you want to win, just jump on my back and I will take you. And it's like, when I say that now, it's like, I'm saying to myself, I'm the man, I'm the (laughs) show, I'm everybody, come on, just follow me and just like, like they say, you know, all these politicians, shut up and dribble. That's what I was basically telling the players, shut up and just follow, right? Uh And that's. That was so wrong, right? That was, that was so wrong. And I really believe that the number one quality for a coach is not the technical understanding, not the tactical understanding, relational leadership. Can you connect with your players, understand the human perspective first, and connect with them and make sure they know that you care, and then you can teach them? If you try to teach him all the tactical things, the technical things, the psychological things without relationship, you will only go so far. With leadership, relational leadership, there's an unlimited amount of potential that you can reach. And I, I really believe that. So, you know, guys, I say Arsene Wenger is like, you know, one of the best guys ever. Um, Pep is my guy, right? Pep is, Pep is my guy. Um, I... I love Ancelotti. I'm I'm talking to, you know, the the current guys, right? Um, I I love Bielsa. Bielsa is just different class for me. Yeah. Um, I like, you know, you know, I I love Klopp's personality. I uh-huh. truly love his personality. I'm just not a big fan of his football.
0: So he's yeah. just run run his players to the ground too much, you think? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I believe football is art. I believe football is an empty canvas. And I believe you get the stroke out and you let you put players in a in a in the best place that so they can draw the best picture of who they are and make sure it all fits in together as a team. So I don't I can't say that he doesn't have art, but I just say that's if I'm in an art gallery and his paintings here <laughs> and Pep's paintings here, I'm gonna look over here. I'm not gonna yeah. look over here. That's just, you know, that's just for me.
0: I like that. I like that a lot. And um, I know it's a bit, I don't want to say it's off topic, but you know, a lot of people like the Ted Lasso show. And it talked about, you know, if you talk about a coach, one of his biggest things was like relationships, you know, being a relationship leader, understanding your players and how to maximize their talent, you know, what they care about off the field and how it affects their performance on the field. It all makes a difference. And, um, you know, I, I really like how you brought that up because some of the best coaches are the ones that can get the most out of their players, whether it's tactics, whether it's technique. Uh, if you can get the most out of your players and the players want to rock with you, the players want to work for you. Um, it doesn't matter how much talent the, the team has. You, know, you can go really far.
1: Well, you know, as a player, right, you, you know, right, you know, as a player, you probably had coaches that were super, super, super intelligent about the game. But then you've had other coaches that were just okay, but you knew that whatever you knew that they were always going to find you doing something good, more they're going to find you doing something poorly. And that's the coach, even with less knowledge, that was a coach that you probably grew the most and you wanted to play for the most.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, So, talk about like, what's it going to take to get to see more coaches like Coach Rod Underwood in the game? You know, more black coaches that have positions um, as a head coach, assistant coach, you know, in these, in these leadership roles um, moving forward?
1: Well, I, I think, I mean, I know a lot of people say, you know, we got to, you know, Blacks have to get into um, ownership, from ownership to directorship, from directorship to coaching. And that's a viable, that is truly a, a realistic point. But it, everything starts, I was talking to a guy the other day and he coaches like U-8s and u 10 I said, your job is way more important than my job in terms of the game because you're the first touch point for players coming into the game, right? And So that first touch point, we need to get that base where minorities, where, and let me rephrase, because we have to be really careful here too, especially in our, in our really racially charged country that we're living in right now. Um, when I talk about the game, yes, I think it's important for Blacks, but what about that kid that's not Black that lives in the cornfields in Nebraska who wants a chance to play that doesn't have a chance? Those players are just as important, too. But what I also say is that we need to make sure that within our community that we are bringing in those young Black kids, Right. Because it's real easy for the young black kid to look up and see LeBron on TV, right? Yeah. So that's so that's going to be the guy they, they gravitate to, right? Are they going to see a Steph? You know those kind of guys, right? They're gonna they're gonna gravitate to those guys. So we have to bring these kids in early, have them fall in love with the game. Because most kids don't fall in love with the game; they fall out of love with the game by the time they're thirteen or fourteen. Of every race, of every color, of everything the dropout rate is going up. Even the funny thing is the game. It's growing, but the youth drop bar rate is growing up, going up. Yep. Which is which is quite interesting, right? Um I think it's gotta be the grassroots. So my my suggestion would be twofold. You gotta go to the top, you gotta go from the bottom. It's not it's not top down, it's not bottom up. It's gotta be bottom up, top down, meet in the
0: middle. in the middle, okay. No, yeah. oh, that's a great point. I love what you said about the grassroots because you know, your earliest memories, so those are the ones that keep you engaged and you know, if you don't have a good coach at a younger age, you're going to drop out. You're going to try to go to the sports. You're going to, you know, do the social scene in high school. And if you can get to that where they already are, now that can make the world a difference. And that's really humble of you to say to that coach you were talking to. It's like, you know, your job is more important. You know, you just recently signed as the new head coach of Stumptown AC. So, you know, can you share a little bit more about, you know, this, how it came about and uh, what attracted you to the project, you know, What's going on?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, again, it's the professional sports world, as you know, and especially in the coaching, it's cutthroat, it's difficult, it's competitive, and I'm fine with all that. I have no issue with all that. I mean, that's what I signed up for, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so 2014, I was assistant head coach with Preki in Sacramento. We won the championship, um, and then I stayed there from 14 to 16. You know, as the game goes, things turned over, new new staff. So I'm out. I go to Jamaica, coach in Jamaica in the pro league down in pro in the pro league. Uh, come back, um, and then my wife's from T- Tacoma, Seattle area, where we were, where I was living before I came here, um, and was doing youth stuff. But I always knew I was going to get back in the coaching game, back in the professional game. You know, had close opportunities with with multiple clubs, right, over the last three years, and then someone that who helped me come in here I worked with in Sacramento and he says hey I might have something for you and I'm like okay well let's chat you know you know it is you hear it all the time right (laughs) I got something for you You never you never get a phone call back right (laughs) um so I said okay you know and then um he he says okay let's talk I said let's talk put the stuff down on paper he did I was like, I'm not sure, you know. This Nisa thing is a, you know, it's a four or five year old league. You know, I've been down that road before, and you know. And he's like, okay. So then, the commissioner of the league calls me and says, hey, we really want you in the league, and um, I'm like, okay, that's the real deal. I said, well, look, you don't have to convince me. You got to convince my wife. Yeah, (laughs) so he literally, they literally called my wife. They lit, you know, you know that doesn't happen, right? Yeah. They call my wife and talk to my wife, man, because they wanted me in the league. So I'm like, okay, all right, then, all right, okay, then I'm gonna give it a go. And I believe, again, right, this project, multiple, multiple reasons, right? I believe this level of soccer is important because there's because there's so many players out there, right? Facts. That if we don't have this level of soccer, that MLS level and that USO championship level has a more difficult time of growing because that sort of 18 to 22, 23 range of players that are immigrants or players that decide not to go to college or players that just finished going to college and not on the radar of MLS or USO championship teams. They're late developers, all these things. They need an opportunity to grow their craft, right? If they can grow their craft, they all want to move on to the next level and to the next level. So I believe this is, I believe this is important. And I, and I like what Nisa's is doing too, as well as they're like, they're connected with amateur clubs around the country where they're saying, okay, they're trying to create this this middle ground where you have the amateur clubs, NISA Pro, which is stump towns in, and they have this thing called NISA Nation, what they're working on is that they're creating regional, even sub-regional leagues around the country. That it's a it's a pro-am league in between NISA Pro and and so that teams that want the chance to go, you can okay, now we're gonna. We're going to cultivate, we're going to work on the bright professional things. We're going to teach you all the things you need to be a professional. And then over time, you can maybe make that jump into. The, into. So that's that's real important. So not just touching the pro, they're touching that middle ground of amateur pro, where there are groups that want to be professional, but they don't have the money to pay to be in USL. They're not quite ready for NISA Nation. So they can do a mix and they can do that. And then they have the amateur club. So they really are touching a lot of people, which is important again.
0: No, that's what it's all about. That, that 18 to 22 range is so pivotal. Um, you know, not everyone's developed at 17, can be a pro at 17. So to give these young uh, players a, a chance to showcase themselves and grow, um, that's what it's all about. And you have some amazing clubs already in NISA that are doing amazing things, and I, I'm sure Town AC is just going to uh, continue that, 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 that tradition. What formation are you going with?
1: Man, I'm not a for, I'm a formation guy, but I'm not right. <laughs> so you know, it's I. So let me let me put it this way. If I'm a Pep fan, a Bielsa fan, it's all about interchanging positions and it's all oh. about movement. So we it might look a four-two-three-one, might like a four-two-four-three-three,
0: three,
1: oh. but oh. it it's gonna always morph, right? Just yeah. depending on. Depending on where we are on the field with the ball, how we're defending, all the all those things, right? But there's core values that never change, right? Keep yeah. the ball, press the ball, try to get forward as quick as you can. Those kind of things that those won't change. Depending on personnel and all those kind of things.
0: No, I love it, and uh, I definitely want to ask you a little bit, you know, because you have ties to Sacramento, you see the potential that it has, and you were there for the first year when they, you know, their their best year when they won the um, USL championship. Uh, title, um, how do you, what do you think about the current situation, if you can speak on it a little bit, you know, for the Yeah, community. you know,
1: I was disappointed, right? I mean, I still have a lot of friends in Sacramento in the in the organization. And, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking because, you know, I'll tell you the story, right? So I spent off and on eight years at the Timbers, right, from the USL years all the way through to MLS, right? So, you know, in the USL years, yeah, you know, three, four, we were, we were one of the best attended teams yeah. in the league. When we played Vancouver, Seattle, and Portland, Seattle and Vancouver, you know, we'd get 10 12,000 people. You know, back back in the day. Um, but as we went forward, right, you know, we MLS really took off. And I, when I went to Sacramento, I remember the first game. Said, yeah, they're like, "Oh, we're gonna get ten thousand fans." I'm like, "Man, you're gonna get ten thousand fans in Sacramento? Okay, whatever." Right. And then it's then about two or three, yeah. We sold 15,000 tickets. I'm like, what you sold 15,000 tickets? We're looking at 20,000. Like,
0: yeah, because again, yeah, right? Like that first game was, that yeah,
1: second. yeah. So I'm driving my car, man, over to the field, I'm trying to get there, you know, two, two and a half hours. I can't even at two and a half, two hours before the game, I can barely even get in the parking lot. The place is absolutely packed. We walk out for warm ups, the stadium's almost full, yeah. stadium almost full. I'm like, I guess you guys are right, so I'm thinking mm, this is gonna this is gonna be something, and it just grew and it just grew and it just grew. But for me, I just feel like maybe they lost their way a little bit. I don't mean in a negative way, because you know the money gets so big, right? Half yeah. a billion dollars to get into it, so you got to have money. So I totally get that, right? It's 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 costing almost so a half a billion dollars with stadium, you know franchise fee, whatever else you have to yeah. pay, right? So that's a big number. I do believe they can turn it around. I do believe they can get it together. I do believe there's a lot of interest there. I'm just sad that it's in the space that it's in right now because like, there's a few places in the country, Portland, Sacramento, those kind of places for me are like, I love those places, right? I love yeah. those places. Not just that I love the football there, but I love the town. I love the people. I love the, the community. And to see SAC struggling where they're struggling right now to get into MLS is 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 disheartening for me. But hopefully I'll pull it together. I'm I'm really rooting for him because I really want to see it happen.
0: Yeah, you're exactly right. And you know, Coach Rod's being nice, you know, he has ties to the city, but I'll say it right because I'm from SAC. Y'all fumble the bag, y'all need to figure it out. It's uh it's really disheartening to see because like, and I know you could talk to it like Sacramento's not just Sacramento. You have Elk Grove, you have Roseville, you have Folsom, you have El Dorado, you have Davis, you have Natomas, you have Stockton that you could it's just such a big community in that family atmosphere around Sacramento. And the talent is the oh, talent yeah. I'm putting talent top ten in the in the nation, if you consider like it as a whole. Um and it's just been untapped and Republic did a okay job of tapping into it. I think they can definitely do better. Um and then for this not to happen. But they're still a USL Championship Club, and they're still going to get so their support. So hopefully we'll see how they move forward. Yeah, I mean,
1: I mean, that first year of Academy, when I was the Academy Director, man, we had like, we had like, I want to say internationally and domestically, we had like 15 players called in youth national teams around the world, man, 15, year one. yeah. That's the, that's the talent level there, man.
0: Yeah, like I can start naming yeah. out people that came from SAC and like really had great careers. And it's going to continue to grow if they really like navigate and leverage how to how to do it. So, um, and you're a big testament to the development of some of those talent um, players that came up the pipeline. Um, But yeah, that's it on my end. What you got, L? I know you got some questions.
2: Yeah, so being a club based in with with Stumptown being a club based in Charlotte, and you know Charlotte kind of having a team on every level of the pyramid, basically. How do you guys plan to stand out, especially like being a a newer team coming back into the fold? Well, you
1: know, being from being from, you know, going to school in this area and and spending a lot, you know, learning my soccer in Atlanta. um, It was. um, It's interesting because I didn't realize. Right. I have been to Charlotte since we played the Charlotte Eagles in like 2014. You know, so that's the last (laughs) time I was in Charlotte. Um, and the city has grown exponentially. And what's what's unique right about this part of the this part of the country is that you know, you got South Carolina. You only you know, across the border, you know, you're not too far. you know, so there's a lot of opportunity to draw from a bunch of different places. Um, you can find your right niche like where we're lo- I mean where we're located, We are 45 minutes to an hour from where um, Charlotte Independence trains, right? So it's just that hour makes a big difference because it's a whole different subgroup oh of people that are here, right? Um, and we all know, right? You know, MLS Charlotte, right? They're going to get their people, right? They're going to they're going to get they're going to get what they're get, but they're not going to get. The stadium's only so big. It's not like they're in Seattle where they've got you know, you know, or Atlanta where you can get sixty seventy thousand people in, in the in the stands, right? Uh, to, that's I'm not sure the stadium, I don't think their stadium's going to be that big. but you know so there's at least all these other people, right? And we have to look at two things like what you know NBC Sports has done, what ES, what ESPN plus has done. It's created so many fans, right? Because you can watch leagues from around, around the world. you can watch the EPL, you know all the, the Latino uh, radio stations and Latino, television stations that now carry American football, American soccer. Um, there's so many more fans that all three of these teams, if marketed properly, would will do just fine.
0: That's amazing. Do you think there's going to be like any synergy, like clubs working together to like build the ecosystem in Charlotte? Or is it going to be like, all right, we're going to do our thing, uh, we'll do our thing? Because I know in Austin, there's a little bit of friction when it comes to you know working together.
1: Well I hope not, right? Even if you started simply simple on the um, you know, on the player front, right? Forget about all the forget about the the sports marketing aspect of it. But just simply the player market, right? Let's just, you know, simply say when when Charlotte MLS comes in, right, we have we hold a a three team combine, right? And obviously saying, hey, we understand that MLS Charlotte, right, gets the first pick. Just like in just like in college, right? You know the division the division two coaches wait to see who falls out, right? That's division right. three coaches wait to see and, and I think if we can de- begin to develop that and work on that level, then I think on the business side of things, there can be some cross promotion. There can be some work, especially if you work together to, even though the seasons are very similar, that you can work together to make sure that you can market each other on off games and when someone's out of town and all these various yeah. things. You know, I think that could be done. That could yeah, be done. Yeah. And if you do that, right, I think you you maybe create a very strong soccer market in America, right, which is yeah. which is important because, again, you've got some of this. You've got people that are in, you know, because, you know, the, the Georgia border might be, what, three hours away, right?
2: Yeah. And
1: then you've got the South Carolina border is like an hour away, and then you got Tennessee over. You know, so there's this whole area, right? and then if you because people are saying i have a choice my entertainment dollar could be football it could be basketball it could be a movie so if you market it right you can begin to take those entertainment dollars from the movies from yeah. um, from the various things where you can use those entertainment dollars and hopefully help the three teams grow even more
0: uh, i think that's what it's all about i'd love to see like a charlotte soccer festival and have all three Three teams be involved like a little preseason tournament sometime, something like that, and yeah, yeah. talked about the synergy I think that's that's amazing.
2: you mentioned uh a little earlier about Charlotte Independence. so recently they announced in the intent to sell off some shares, including some majority some from the majority owner who um has had some problematic statements over the few past few years um what advice would you give potential new owners for that club? I know it's had nothing to do with stump town, but you know yeah. what.
1: Well, I mean, look, I mean, it's, it's. I have, to, I, have to, I have to say it from two ways, right? I have to say it from the business side and from the soccer side. I hope that whoever gets the shares have soccer coursing through their veins that soccer is really important to them. So that when the economics of developing a lower level football becomes reality, that it can be expensive but not a lot of return, that you're willing to stick it out over the long term, that you create other revenue streams, if it be through maybe building a stadium, that you have auxiliary buildings around, that you create money that way. So I, I, I really think it's, it's someone that, that understands the economics but understands that has, a, has an unbelievable passion, heart for soccer, that the economics, as hard as it may get,
2: they won't want to just leave yeah i think that's really good really good advice um so let's switch it up a little bit so walk us through a match day for you like what do you have any specific rituals that you do like any traditions well (laughs) as a player right i wore the same
1: socks forever right you know as a player (laughs) i wore the same socks right even they had holes in them and i was still wearing those socks uh you know um it was you know you know, some guys eat a couple hours before the game. I was like a four-hour got four-hour time before the game. Um, you know, everything from you know, not much communication with anybody on game day. Just really just trying to focus on the game. As a coach, right? Um, it's just different. As a coach, I tell I'm always ready because I'm not playing, right? Yeah. So I do all of my preparation leading up to it, right? Um, And I'm really low key on on game days with the players. I just try to stay out of the player's way, because I don't, you know, I, you don't know what emotions they've had coming into it, right? So you don't want to add to their emotion, You want them to be as ready as they can to play. So I really try to stay out of the way on game day.
0: Okay, As a coach, what do you you like a stickler about? Like, I know certain, certain coaches, like, they don't like certain things. Like, for example, leaving, like, water bottles out, or, you know, players wearing, like, bright colored boots. What's, like, one thing that you just get irked from a player's perspective?
1: Just show up every day and work, man. Mm-hmm. I tell players, look, I, you could have your worst game ever. You know, you could score an own goal and we lose the game. But if I can feel like you, if I can feel you that you have given everything you got, we're good. I- But if you haven't given everything you got, no, we can't be friends. That's what it comes down to. Okay,
0: Because we got a coach on the line. Now I can ask some questions. Uh, (laughs) So how do you feel about, like, some there are certain players where you know, like, they're just not practice players. But game time, they show up. You know you can count on them. So how do you feel about that? Because, like, it's an interesting dynamic where, you know, they're almost like holding back. Um, And this is not like the veteran guys because, you know, veteran guys, they know they've been around the block. But it's like – that one guy is like, yo, in the game, I can count on you, but practice, I'm like, I'm I, I wanna just, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, for me, right? You gotta show up. You gotta yeah. show up and you gotta be committed, right? And cause here's the thing: in a training session, an hour and a half, right? Some guys run, 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 they're like an energetic bunny. They never stop at word, they didn't even, you know, they water break, boom, and they're they're back on the field passing the ball around, right? You know, they just they, they have so much energy. Right. But what I try to do is I try to look at each person individually. Right. I try to. So it goes back to what I said about leadership. If I understand the person. Right. If I understand the person in my eyes and other people's eyes, I might not think they they might not be working hard. But in my eyes, because I know that player, I know who they are. They might be giving what they can give in training. Yeah. So learning the players, then you can learn and you can individualize how you treat everybody.
0: Uh, I love that answer. And, uh, and the reason why I love it is because a lot of African players get a stigma of being kind of like nonchalant and almost lazy. But sometimes that's not the case. It's just the way they like they just calm in a different way. If that if that makes sense, like just like it looks like they don't care, but they really care. Um, so I appreciate you saying that. I think it's really well, important. You
1: think about it. If you've been to Africa, man. Right we have been in a developing country, right? The horn's going, there's no traffic lights, everybody's going crazy, right? Yeah. Now, now they're going to go on a field, on a grass field. They come from a dirt field with, they come on a grass field, pristine, you know, with $200 shoes when they didn't have any shoes. Yeah. Of course they're going to be calm, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why, 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 you, why wouldn't you be calm?
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, no, that's a great point that you said. So I uh, had, to, I just had to ask, you know, we got to coach them lines.
2: Yeah, uh, no, that's not good. I, so kind of stepping back to the match day thing again do you have a pre-match playlist that you use or anything you listen to before the game to kind of get you in the mindset Um, believe it or not man i'm like this hard rock crazy guy
1: (laughs) that's what i like man you know it's like you know but really i mean i i don't really to be fair i don't even i all the music i listen to is just christian music right but it's you know that that's that's my thing, right? Because that my faith is everything. It's absolutely everything. I without that I'm nothing. Without my walk with God, there's 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 no me, right? So for me, it's about just getting in the spirit, understanding God, and being close to Him. So when I go to the game, I know that He's in control. He wants me to be excellent. So do everything I can to be excellent in that game.
0: That's what it's all about. All of Amen.
2: That. Amen, yeah Alright right. So let's turn the corner a little bit Let's get into one of our favorite games here on the show uh, No card, yellow card, red card So this is a rapid fire game where I'll read off some topics um, From the news, it could be soccer news, it could be pop culture news What have you um, And you'll give your opinion um, On the sh- on that topic Using the soccer card system So no card is I'm cool with it, I agree with it You know, Allow it, no foul um, yellow card is It can go either way uh, And red card is I disagree or I'm not cool with it and just kind of give a little explanation Of you know why you gave that card <clears throat> So got it Got the rules Yeah. Cool so first up No card, yellow card, red card U.S. men's national team U23s failed to qualify For the Olympics again despite having A talented enough roster to get it done So what card are you guys are you giving this situation, because you can blame multiple, the multitude of people. So the overall situation, what card would you give it? It's a red card, man. There's like it's a red card.
1: Yeah, there's no way around it. It's a
0: red
2: card. Yeah, man. it's a red card. Yeah, uh, red card. You say, Moby. Good. I know you got some stuff you've been holding back. Yeah, no,
0: I said it's a red card. You know, and I was <laughs> one of the groups that didn't qualify, and it was a red card then. It's a red card now. You know, everyone has, you know, why, um, like, why it didn't happen. Why, like, it doesn't. Any question, any solution—it doesn't matter. You didn't qualify. You figure it out. So um, it's, it's well, the right
1: look. Thing. I, I, I'm people. People think I'm crazy because when the U.S. didn't qualify for the World Cup and lost to Trinidad and Tobago, I know those players. I coached in Trinidad and Tobago. I know those players. I know those players on the field. And I don't. I, our guys on the field didn't win, right? But I also blame. The fact of what's happening in our youth system. There's these guys, you know, outside of the Clinton Dempsey, those guys that have left, right? And and experienced a different but the guys, the American guys that have come through the system, they're not ready for that. They're not ready for that. Those guys in Trinidad and Tobago, they play on that field every week. In the rainy season, they play they train on that field, they play on that field, all right? Every single week. You know, that's the reality behind it.
0: No, no, you bring up a great point. And I think, like, if you relate it to like, like basketball, or football, people say, like, oh, he's not built like that. Or, he ain't got. He's he's not like that. And that's like a term. That's like, when it goes gets to those tough moments or those moments where you kind of have to like grind. Yeah. We're not as a youth player. We're spoiled. It's like we get food before, but between games, we get driven to practice. Like, so you're not when it comes like a couple fouls, couple like tough, tough tackles. People shy away, or people show up, and for now, over the past couple of years, from a player standpoint, and there's other other factors. You there's
2: plenty it. other factors. Yeah. yeah. So. Okay, so we're gonna stay on that topic. Um, so, in light of U23's performance, um, Taylor Twelman went on another rant, calling the team's performance laughable and pathetic, and prompting Josie Altzidor to respond on Twitter. Um, so, to quote Josie, says Taylor Twelman's national team career is laughable. Beasley should be the analyst or Mia Hamm. Twelman needs to be on Extra Time Radio with Bobby Warshaw. He's a white boy with Connect. Stop giving him a platform. Um, So what car are we giving Josie for his for the way he responded to you know Twelman's comments? Well look, I don't judge anybody. So
1: for me it's hard to say, right? Because my first inclination is red card because there was judgment there, right? That's my that's my first that's my first comment. Is because it was judgment and the race card was played, which I don't like to do, period, DN, right? But there's also truth in his statement. So maybe a yellow card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, so I
0: woke up and a couple of group chats. So we was obviously talking about it. And I, I got to give it a yola card. And uh, just from the standpoint of from a PR perspective and athletes, you know, you do have a platform delivery. The delivery is everything. And Josie's, you know, a role model for so many, you know, soccer players and athletes and individuals around the world. So is delivery. Um could have been a, a lot different there's ways to like get your point off and get your rocks off without being so aggressive but obviously there's some animosity with with the statements he made um, probably some uh, context to why he said what he said in the past um from the standpoint of taylor twelman he's an he's an analyst you know people are going to like him people are not going to like him um it's tough you know when you're a former player Cause you're supposed to like make points but obviously you're supposed to understand like you was in that position so watch how you speak per se yeah
1: exactly but, like
0: you have a job too so it's like I gotta I gotta perform because or else they're gonna bring someone else in so that dynamic is weird um, and then like from the standpoint of athletes and commentators and stuff like that not uh, how can I say it if Only professional athletes were allowed to be commentators. It wouldn't make it entertaining, you know? That's like me saying professional athletes aren't allowed to transition into other things because y'all didn't, you know? So that standpoint's different. Um, And then Taylor's career, yeah, it is – I don't want to say it's laughable because anyone that gets a national team cap is, you know, pretty successful and I know he had some injuries. But, I mean, if you're talking spade for spade versus Josie, I mean, Josie does have – leverage to say like yo stop talking mess about me like you ain't do nothing like check my yeah. <laughs> check my stats
1: oh yeah uh, I mean, yeah yeah i mean
0: i'm out here playing switzerland trying to play both sides but yeah for me it's the well, other thing
1: way. is right josie josie's record on the field speaks for itself exactly i mean he's one of the best players we have ever had in the national team yeah, yeah. i mean and, and and people might say well no he's not well maybe if we didn't he, had a, he went on that one run where he scored so many goals in consecutive games, people think, oh, this guy is going to be unbelievable. The reality yeah. is that was just a run and he's in a good spot. Yep. you know. And now his career has gone more to what it probably was going to be if you really were objective and looking at the big picture. Yeah. That's true. So, yeah, he's like, yeah,
0: Josie's stats speak for itself. So yeah. Like, I don't know if he scored in the World Cups. So I know people are like, well, you had never scored in a World Cup, or you were getting injured. It's like, yeah, man's been playing since. There, man, <laughs> yeah, he's been playing professional since he's fifteen. Like, yeah, put some on his name.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. For sure. All right. So the last one we have, we're gonna switch over to the tech world a little bit. So Spotify acquires Betty Labs, the company behind the live sports audio app Locker Room, with plans to eventually rebrand it into a broader, with a broader focus on music, culture, and sports. So, what card are we giving Spotify this move? Um, in lieu of, I'm, I'm, not, Rod, I'm not, I'm not sure if you're familiar with like Clubhouse and Twitter Spaces, but there's been a big boom in kind of like the live audio chat um, type of dynamic when it comes to technology. So, um, in light of that, what card are we giving Spotify for this move? Not, Is this uh, going to help the game. What's that? Granted, uh Locker Room has been around, like, maybe a year. Like, maybe a year. Yeah. Not even two years. So, they're they're new to the game as well.
1: Since I don't know that much, I'm going to say no card. But what I will clarify is that if it's going to help the game, I'm all for it.
0: I love it. Yeah. yeah I, um, I'm not sure if it's... Because I heard Locker Room is a Black founder. So, if that's the case... Uh,
2: they have they have Black investors. They have, like, KD, Iguodala. Oh, uh,
0: yeah. So, um... Yeah, no card. I think audio only platforms are the future. It allows people to really connect um, with people that they may not have the chance to connect with and anything talking about sports in a larger capacity. Spotify is coming for everybody, you know, Apple, Amazon, you know, they need to watch out because Spotify, they've been making audio their their baby. So um, it really is interesting to see like if Locker Room could have like, you know, try to build it out a little bit more and see what is possible. Um, but yeah, no car. They got a good guy. I think to
1: you, you look at the back end, like you said, if KD and those guys are gonna still have a voice,
2: that's even that's even bigger, right?
0: Yeah.
2: Yep. Yeah. We'll see what happens with Clubhouse.
0: Uh, <laughs> Clubhouse stopped of, going up.
2: All the competitors like took the model and ran with it. So it could be yeah. a, it could be an Instagram spot um what's the Snapchat thing.
1: Yeah, that's know? true. Well,
2: yeah. Uh, we'll all right, so this is something we don't normally have every day, but we have a couple of Twitter questions. Um, so Moby put a tweet out earlier today, um, saying asking people to send in their questions. So um, first up, we have Jay Mac. He asks, um, "What you guys, US Men's National Team starting eleven right now? your team?"
1: Damn, that's a good question. That's a tough one, yeah, because there's a lot. I mean, the there, reality is a lot of good players out there, right? And. I couldn't. I couldn't say. I really couldn't say a, a starting eleven right now, because to be fair, outside of a few guys like Brooks, no one's really, really, really cemented themselves, right? I mean, I would say even Pulisic, right? Yeah, he's he's in and out, right? He's in and out. He's. when I mean by in and out, right? Everyone raves about his his game against Northern Ireland. Who's Northern Ireland, man? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Uh, I know it, one of our one of our friends of the show is going to be really happy you said that because he's like yeah he's like a ballistic hasn't done it for me, uh, like advocate. So I know he's going to be laughing that you said that. For me, and if it's I'm not because
1: to- look, I mean, I've watched ballistic since he was since he was in the national team at 14. This little short kid, right? Yeah. And what he's done is absolutely wonderful. But for me, right, I don't, I no longer evaluate those guys on how they do in CONCACAF. Because we're going to typically make it to the World Cup, especially with the expanded World Cup, we're going to make it to the World Cup. I'm talking about how do these guys not just be on a roster in Europe, if they're in Europe, but are they contributors? Are they liter- legitimate contributors? And then when we play the big boys, are they difference makers? It's just like I take it to MLS, right? We keep saying, you know, there's no Americans in MLS. That keep number keeps going down. Yeah. There's a reason for that. So my thing is when I evaluate these American players going to MLS, are you on the end of the bench? Are you are different? Are you in the? Are you always in the talk for the starting eleven? That's yeah. what I'm looking for. Not in the bench. You're gonna be in the bench. Go play U.S. Championship and play every minute, right? Yeah. So that's how I'm evaluating. So to say, I mean, it's just, it's too hard because too many of these young guys, right? I don't even looking at the veteran guys, right? Because Joel, see, I, I see he's probably going to make the team. I probably see that. I probably see Brad is going to be in the mix, right? Oh, you think Brad the is be in the mix? I think they'll be in the mix. Yeah, I think they will.
0: Because like literally they have no one on their squad that's been to a World Cup besides Brooks. So like that veteran.
1: Yeah. I think I, I think I think they'll be in the mix. I
0: mean, I think they'll be in the mix. Yeah. So I uh, my starting eleven. I'm going from back to front. Stefan in goal, uh, yeah. on the right, right back. Yellen don't get enough credit. Like I mean, he has almost over seventy caps, but I know he's not really in the in the scene right now. So I'll probably go like Reggie Cannon. I'm going yeah. Chris Richards from Hoffenheim. Yeah. Brooks. And I'm giving them the captain's band. They need to stop throwing the captain's bands around to everybody. Give it to Brooks for now and groom somebody else. Um, then gotta go dest at left back. Um, I'll put so I'm gonna do it differently. I know they put Adams as the holder, so I'm putting young boy uh from Valencia, uh Yunsa as my yeah, Munsa as my holder. He and might
1: be the for me, he might be the best player in the group.
0: Yeah, that boy, silky. So I'm putting yeah. him as my holder, and I'm getting my, I'm getting the dogs out, Adams and McKinney as two, yeah, eights, yeah. two eights yeah. in front of him, and then I got Polisic on the left, and I'm gonna go uh, for now Weya, because the young boy Reina doesn't know how to pass, and he's still a little, he still has some work to do, and then up top. Up top, for now, goes uh, sergeant For now, but uh, he has a lot of competition.
1: The thing with Sarge, I mean, the, the catch is, right, you got to balance. sergeant he puts a lot of work in. Yeah. yeah. He creates opportunities because of his work, and people misjudge that. Yeah. And his yeah. movement off the ball is good. But when you get into the World Cup, exactly. you, got, you, got, you need a guy with a high strike rate to give yourself a chance.
0: Exactly. So it's like, yeah. like what are the other options that like, you can really like throw in a game
1: yeah, I know, right? That's because so there's, really no, there's really no, out and out strikers. Everybody's like a mix of a nine, a ten, a seven, eleven. They're all just a mix, right?
0: Exactly. So, mm-hmm. and then I'd have yeah, that's my starting eleven right now.
2: Think DK gets in the mix. Oh, uh, eventually later in the yeah in the process.
1: Um, because he physically is such a handful, right? Yeah, physically yeah. such a handful, and you need that in the World Cup. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I would. I eventually DK is going. That's going to be his spot. But for now, like, to, if I needed to play tomorrow versus like France or something, yeah. that's my
1: lineup. He's, but DK's got to stay in Europe, though. He got to. He's he can't come back. Oh no! I, mean, if,
0: I don't know. If he, if, if, he, if he
1: comes back, his level's not going to keep going up.
0: Yeah, he should. He he needs to be on the phone with his agent like now. Like, yo, I'm yeah. not coming back to Orlando. So, tone they got to. Like you got to do what Kyle Aaron did, and I know some Orlando fans are gonna be like, "Oh no, like this is your chance. You got to strike while the iron's hot." So you're just, yeah, I mean,
1: I, and not to, and again, I'm not gonna I'm not knocking Orlando. I'm not knocking him. I'm just saying he's in a spot where he's loved, where the coach loves him, where he's getting minutes, and where he's growing and experiencing things he never experienced before. That's real important. The facts.
0: And Orlando yeah. should be the right thing. Like you you drafted the kid from so from college and then you're gonna sell them within a within two years for that much? Yeah, it has to happen. It's actually yeah, it has to happen.
2: Okay. So speaking of that friend of the show that we mentioned earlier, uh Carson, Carson Merck, he has a question. <laughs> um <laughs> Carson can always count on Carson. Yeah. Um who's the most underrated player you've had as a teammate in your career?
0: Oh, that's so tough. It's a shout out to all the teammates I've had over the years. I would probably say, uh, dang. uh Vincent Noguera. Yeah, he was my center mate partner in Philly. Yeah, just a little French boy. Like, he just doesn't lose the ball. And he, like, his frame, he, like, he's just like looking at him, was like, ah, oh, we're not going to have to worry about him. But then he gets on the field. You can't take the ball from him. He's turning, switching. He's playing through balls. Um, so he's underrated. Um there's another guy. Ray Gaddis, underrated. Um, just from a defensive standpoint. Um let me say more most most recently. I'll give like some someone from like Austin. Mm. Got a young boy out here that's pretty good. I think he's gonna go places if If everything fits uh uh Colin Fernandez, uh it's crazy because I remember when he was coming into the league and then uh, it just never panned out from a MLS standpoint. And I know he's bounced around a couple USL squads, but smart, really smart, intelligent player can play with his left, knows how to play multiple positions, and he's only 24. So I'm like, those are the type of guys, if you give him a chance, like around better players. They can, they can, they can handle their own, but there's MLS, USL. I like
2: his game a lot. What about you, coach?
1: That's an interesting one. I mean, yeah, this is, this is a lot of years ago, man. This is a lot of years ago. I feel bad. I feel like I left players out. um...
2: Or you can do players that you've coached that you felt were underrated.
1: Okay. Um, oh, yeah, that's way better. I like that. Yeah, there's a guy coaching Jamaica, uh, Dino Williams. Um, he was tearing it up in the league. Um, probably had he was a leading goal scorer in the league. Um, you probably know the name Owain Gordon. He played with Owain uh, at, at, at Montego Bay. He's about to come um, to our squad, actually. What's that? He's about to come to our squad. Owen oh, is?
0: Yeah, yeah. Owen's coming.
1: Yeah, because I actually did I actually did the transfer for him to first come into uh into OKC and then in, into the into the USL.
0: Oh that's so crazy. So, yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So um but Dino Dino was just like different level. I mean he was that guy, right? He could be a box striker or a comp combined combined with players, right? And he was just like really different and He was always on the fringes. He got some caps with the national team, but you know Jamaica always brought in the guys that were that were foreign guys that were playing overseas, which is cool. I have no problem with that Um, because there's some good ones, you know, in Jamaica that are playing playing out of the playing out of the country. But yeah, he was probably he's probably the one for me. Like that.
2: Nice. Okay, so that's it for our Twitter questions for this week. Um, Let me jump into Black Soccer History. So this week we have Viv Anderson. Anderson was the first black player to win a senior England cap in 1978 against Czechoslovakia. The speedy and tenacious right back went on to claim 30 caps and was part of the squad's squad's two World Cups, um, Spain in 82 and Mexico in 86, although he didn't make a single appearance at either. Anderson played under Brian Clue at Nottingham Forest, who um, he's often praised for helping him deal with the racist abuse that that he had to go through in that time. And with Sir, Sir Alex Ferguson's first signing, um, along with Brian McClare um at Manchester Manchester United in eighty seven. So we wanna give Viv Anderson his flowers, salute him for breaking barriers um in the English game. Um salute to you.
0: Yeah, Maver- yeah. That's that's what it's yeah, all about. Definitely.
1: I mean and it was I mean it's still tough to break in England as a you know, an important in important uh, off field positions. It's really still difficult. Yeah. Uh, it's not easy. That's true.
0: So, Coach Rod, um, that's it for the show. We really want to thank you so much for taking the time. Um, you know, you, you're building a building a new club, so I know your time is uh, of the essence. But if people want to connect with you, you know, talk shop about Pep versus Klopp, or you know, international <laughs> versus domestic, or best formations. Where can they tap in with you
1: i'm on twitter cut inside right that's the best place to find me cut oh, inside so
0: yeah. you have your you have you play inverted weekers then
1: yes oh, okay yeah. Yeah, right. yeah.
0: now i just got i'll make it all make sense now okay yeah. but yeah that's it for the show um subscribe rate and review it helps us get discovered uh follow us on the socials at two cents fc um and check out our merch at two cents it helps support the show uh, speaking of the show, we are supporting some friends of the show. Elle's rocking the uh, woman in sports tea by a previous guest, Megan Reyes. Make sure, sure you check Megan. that out as well. Um, but with that being said, tweet us your comments on the show and any topics you want me or Elle to discuss. As you saw today, we answer your Twitter questions. So, Carson, don't give us any uh, any jokes. Any uh, Don't be trying to make fun of us. Uh, we we answer your question. So, Hopefully, you guys enjoyed and see you guys next week.
2: Oh, and check out uh twocentsports.com brand new, brand new site. Oh, we're we're in a soft launch right now.
0: Mic drop, mic drop, uh, twocentsports.com. Yeah, make sure y'all check that out. All
2: right, all right, thanks,
0: guys. I appreciate it. Nah, thank you so much, coach. Definitely talk soon.